In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of Second Samuel. Just get a quick review. So now we know that David became a king over all Israel. After he became a king, God has given him victories over a lot of the enemies around him. And not only victories, his army was broken at that time because Saul was defeated by the Philistines. So the army he took over was broken, but still God actually led him physically in wars and helped him defeat the Philistines. Now we saw last time that everything David was doing was great. But all of a sudden David had a desire, a spiritual desire, that he wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build a nice temple for God. And prophet Nathan told him, yes, do everything that's in your heart. You're a child of God. Your desires are in the right place. Do whatever you want. And we saw that God came to Nathan the prophet and told him that you should go back to David and tell him that he's not going to build the temple for me. And we said last time that sometimes people have a spiritual desires but God does not grant all the spiritual desires because every person has a certain plan that God uses in the overall salvation of humanity. For example, I was reading a story a while ago of an, a monk, uh, and this monk used to actually to see, used to see the Lord Jesus a lot. And this monk had a desire to become a priest. And the Lord told him, I will not grant you that desire. But he still was able to see the Lord physically, often. But the Lord did not grant him the desire of becoming a priest. So even sometimes you might have a spiritual desire, but it's important for us, even with our spiritual desire, to put it in the hands of God. Last time we saw, we stopped at verse 14. Verse 14 is what Nathan is telling David, what God the message that God wanted to convey to David, okay? So now we're continuing that message. So God told David, look, you wanted to build a house for me? I actually built a house for you. And God started reminding David of all his work and started making new promises. Last time, God made a promise that even if David's child, Solomon, stray away, or the nation of Israel stray away, God will chastise them. To bring them back. So we'll continue at verse 15. It says, But my mercy shall not depart from him. He's talking about the child of David. As I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So the two things about, about these verses, I just want to keep them in mind. Number one, we said a lot of times when God is speaking, He's speaking about the present, but also the future. And we talked about, if you guys remember in the book of Daniel when we were studying, we said a lot of the prophecies that God will use, they talk about the present, but also talk about the second coming and the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because every story in the scripture has Jesus hidden in it. That's the Old Testament. So here he's telling him, your house will be established forever because Jesus is the son of David. So Solomon will come after him. There's an earthly kingdom, but it's all pointing to the kingdom of Jesus. The other thing, too, I wanted to tell you is God made a promise to him. He told him, my mercy shall not depart from him, 
And what is the form of mercy that God is talking about? That if Solomon and Israel drift from God, God will chastise them, bring them back. And you guys see this in the lamentation of Jeremiah, for example, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, eh, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hands against me time and time again throughout the day. God, in the time of Jeremiah, in the time of many prophets, he continued to chastise the people of Israel. But why is this significant? Because now when people see the chastising of God, they see it as an act of mercy. He's trying to bring them back to him. Not in the time of Saul. If you remember the story of Saul, how much did Saul suffer in his life? He was actually quite restful. Nothing. He had no difficulties. He became a king, few wars, and he won them, and he just kept running after David. That's why the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastises. So what God is telling him, I will bring correction your ways. How often the corrections, lamentation said time and time again throughout the day. When, for example, you do something wrong and you get caught. This is a form of God's mercy bringing you back to him because you might have been incapable of coming back. You come to church and you hear something that shakes your heart. This is an act of mercy of God. You see somebody acting with charity and love and doing something that you decided not to do because you were too lazy. It moves your heart. Constantly God is trying to chastise his own people. So when difficulties come our ways, we are thankful because we are in his hand. According to all these words and according to all these visions, so Nathan spoke to David. So this is the end of the message that God sent to David through Nathan. And I want to tell you guys something. Even though David is an extremely, extremely close to God, and he loves God so much, yet there was a father of confession, there is a prophet that God used to convey the message to David. In a spiritual life, we don't walk alone. The Bible says said two is better than one. People who walk alone in their spiritual life, quite often they fall and stumble and have to, to relearn certain things that the fathers and the scripture and many people have taught us before. Now, after David heard the message of Nathan, David is going to go and pray. It's almost... God is speaking, now David is responding. Look at what David said. Obviously, David is overwhelmed by God's love. Imagine, think about this. Imagine you stood, and, you stood and prayed to God and said, God, I would love to build a church for you. Okay? And all of a sudden, you see the door knocks and the father, your father of confession comes in. He says, by the way, God heard your prayer. And he does not want you to build a church. I'd be like, wow, my prayer was serious. It reached to heaven. So when I'm in my room and I'm praying, this is real stuff. It's not just like I'm just mumbling and talking to myself. 
So this is what happened with David. Even though David had a lot of experiences with God, he remembered how important his prayer is. One of the biggest tricks of the enemy is to make us belittle our prayers. Make us feel that prayer is not important, is insignificant. Even though all the good that we receive, we receive it in prayer. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Most likely he went into the tent, like we go to the church, he went into the tent of covenant, and he sat and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for, for a great while to come. Is this, is this the manner of a man, o, o Lord God? Now David entered and told God, Look, I cannot believe what you're doing in my life. I cannot believe that you know my name. I cannot believe that you know my house. I cannot believe that you have made all these plans for me. I cannot believe that you have prepared all these circumstances so I could come and enjoy you and live and experience and grow with you. You have been preparing this for many, many years. This is, my friends, are the prayer of faith when I know that God is listening. I will feel so small. I feel so small. I told him, me and my whole family, none of us deserve what you have given us. You know, guys, I'll tell you something happens in all our life. When we were children, we always felt how small we are. Because every small thing we usually run to, our, to an adult, our parents, teacher, whatever it is. As we get older and as we accomplish more in life, we forget that the smallest thing is still a blessing, a blessing from God. The smallest thing is still a blessing from God. I had uh, a while ago somebody who was, he had an issue with his, his kidney and some, some yeah, and irregular, some bodily functions. He told me it was so painful just to go to the bathroom. And I didn't appreciate just the times when I was healthy. The amount of things we realize that God is doing in our day, every day, we forget from how we were children until he brought us this moment. And at some point we feel that we earn, we deserve and David, when he understood that God heard his prayer, immediately he felt he does not deserve anything. David did not get his desire. He did not build a house for God. But he also received the blessings from God. God gave him a promise more important than the temple. He told him, your house will, not, will be established forever. Much better than the temple. The temple will be destroyed. God has a different plan than him. When we have desires for, for, for the kingdom, for heaven, when I want to, I want to for example, to, to open a new service, or I see certain needs, I want to help, and God doesn't allow me to do it. But God still sees that heart and still uses it for something much greater than what God might have turned down. 
Now what more can David say to you? What else can I say? For you, O Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servants know them. Such a beautiful prayer. Saying to him, what can I say? You guys, when you stand truly in the presence of God, there's something that you understand. That's every thought, every feeling that even sprung up in your mind or your heart, God sees it. And when you offer a prayer and you feel like this is not the appropriate prayer, you think of something else, God sees all this. When you truly realize you're in the presence of God, you feel speechless. You know everything. You know. And that's why a lot of the saints spoke about holy silence. Where you stand in the presence of God in silence. And the conversations happen between the human spirit and God. No more words, no more intellect. It is a deep, intimate, mysterious conversation that happens at the depth of the heart of the human soul. He's telling him, for your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these things to make your servant know them. He's using, he's telling God the main reason that I am enjoying all these blessings for your word's sake. God's word is God's character, is God's personality. So he's telling him, because of your own word and because of your own heart, I'm enjoying these blessings. Imagine when we stand in front of God and look at the heart of God and look at the words of God not look at my own prayer and my own situation and my own sin and my own weakness I am praying and looking at the heart of God what is inside the heart of God mysteries Mysteries. I can call you, I can call you today my dad, my father, just simply because of your heart. That's it. Now, David became so submissive to the will of God. He had a spiritual desire. God told him no. God gave him new blessings. But there is the intimacy between him and God. And then he continues his prayer to God. Tell him, therefore you are a great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that, you ha according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem for himself as people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. David, now he knows every word he says, heaven hears. He's not just praying words to himself, no. He's telling God, God, I am so thankful that you are my God. 
You guys know, obviously in the old time, every nation had gods. But also for us, we all have different gods. The word worship itself, you can think of it as worship. Which worship, worship. Where do I put my worth on? What do I depend on? So if I ask you, if you have a problem, financial problem, would you think more about how to secure more money first or turn to God first? Do I put more worth on my health and my, my attractiveness and my personality and my job or do I put more worth on my confidence that I'm in the hands of God? So he told him, I have experienced you. There is none like you. And not only none like you, there is none like me. He's telling him, there's nobody like the people of Israel. There's nobody like us. Why? Because God redeemed us. And he started talking to God about his delivering the people of Israel from Egypt. God chose us without us doing anything. Nothing. Nothing. You know, the difference between living with God and living without a God. Living with God means everything matters. Living without a God means nothing you do matters. He's telling him that I cannot believe how privileged we are. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever. You, O Lord, have became, become their God. You have made a covenant with us that you became our God. Like St. Paul said, he purchased us with his blood. We belong to him. We belong to him. David is declaring his faith in God of his fathers. And the beautiful thing about this prayer is David understands that God sees the present, the past, and the future. He's above time. He's telling him the relationship we have with you is not at a certain moment of time. It is something that extend, extends to eternity. Something that extends to eternity. That's why a lot of the saints that have been to heaven, their prayer became a bit different than us from what they have seen. Because they started seeing a glimpse of praying above time. One time, Keda, I was praying with a very holy person, and we were praying for a specific request. And after we prayed, this person started thanking God for already listening and answering our request. Before anything ever happened. God, I thank you for you have listened and you have answered. Already answered. This is the heart of a person who sees that God works above time. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servants and concerning his house, establish, forever, establish it forever. 
and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servants David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servants, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servants has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised his goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servants, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servants be blessed forever. I love this prayer. What's happening is David told him, O Lord, you built me a house, and I'm very thankful for it. But not only this, you made me a promise through Nathan the prophet that my house will be blessed forever. So then what did David do? He told God, please bless my house forever. God told him exactly the promise, and he prayed for that promise. God told you that when you go to heaven, you'll be like Christ. I pray for that promise. God told you that you'll be holy like me. In the scripture, I pray for that promise. God told you that the kingdom is inside of you. I am with you always. All these promises, I pray for them. I pray for them. He's telling him that the Lord God of hosts is God over Israel. I like how David uses the word Israel because Israel means the person who wrestled with God. Told him, God, already we are working with you and we stopped wrestling with the world. And when he finished his prayer, the last thing he, he prayed, he says, uh, O Lord God, you have spoken and with your blessing let the house of your servant be blessed forever. David did not end his prayer with a petition. He ended with an assertion. The house will be blessed forever. The best prayer is to tell God, what do you want to promise me? What do you want to give me? What do you want to bless me with? What do you see that I need? I don't want to use or ask for something on my own. I want you to choose for me. David learned to pray this way. Why? Because he understood at this moment that God is listening to him. How much different our, our prayers would be if it became a prayer of faith. Much different. After this encounter with God, just I want to review something, and then because now chapter 8 is, is going back to a lot of wars. So I want to just explain this point. So David, he had a weak army. He's fighting. God was leading him. He had a desire to build a house. God told him, don't build a house. So now David goes back to his original work that God wanted him to do. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took uh, Methagama from the hands of the Philistines. If you guys remember, 
Saul defeated the Philistines a few times. But the problem with Saul is that he started running after David. So his army became weaker and dispersed. So at the end of his life, he was lo he lost by the Philistines. What does that mean for us? A lot of times we use, instead of using our resources to fight our real enemy, we use it to fight people. Grudges and anger and envy and jealousy and blah, blah, blah. And then I get defeated. I am empty. I am sad. I'm not happy. Yes, you're using your resources in the wrong way. You're distracted like, like Saul. When David came, a person who's filled with God, he focused on the enemy, the Philistines. He did not run after anybody else. Where is the enemy? Let's rage a war against them straight. Then he defeated Moab. For, by the way, every battle has a meaning. And I wanna, yeah, so the first one, the Philistines, as we said earlier, they are the, they are the soul failed because he was distracted. Now Moab is an interesting case. For them, forcing them down to the ground, he measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured off those to be put to death. And with one full line, those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and, he brought, and they brought tribute. So what happened? Basically, David did something strange. Nobody have, nobody have done this before. He put the Moabites in like three different lines. He killed two lines and kept one line alive. Okay? Now, the Moabites are a very interesting part. Why? Because if you guys remember in 1 Samuel 22, David entrusted his own parents with the Moabites. And one of David's wives, Ruth, she is a Moabite as well. But a couple of points we want to talk about the Moabites because it helps us in our spiritual life. The Moabites were the enemies of Israel. That's number one. Number two, David made a deal with the Moabites when he was far away from God and he was disobedient to God. Now when he returned to God and he became the king of Israel, he fought them and defeated them. What does that mean? Sometimes in my spiritual life, when I spend time far away from God, I end up making wrong friendship. I end up making wrong choices. And when I repent and I come back to God, these choices will come to me. And sometimes I might feel embarrassed. Oh, this is the same person. They took me out on my birthday and, you know, we got wasted and we got drunk and, and, and now, now it's their birthday. I want to go. But I repented. I changed. But I owe them something. No. That is one of the warfare of the devil. He wants you to say, the Moabites, those are the people that you entrusted. The Moabites, by the way, supported David. Why? It's not because they liked David. They supported him because David and Saul were fighting against each other. So they want to support a civil war inside Israel that would weaken Israel. They are the enemy of Israel at the end of the day. So it's important for us to understand 
how the devil would work in our life in different ways. I used to date this guy or this girl, and I repented, and now they're calling me and asking me for help. Otherwise, they will kill themselves. Otherwise, they will call me sharp. All of this is ways to get me back into sin. So David also defeated Hadazar, the son of Rohab, the king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river of Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. So just let's get a think about what's happening. Syria is a far away land, a bit farther from Israel, not as close as the Philistines. It's a bit farther. So now after David defeated the Philistines, defeated the Moabites, now he's protecting himself even further. And this is how our spiritual life works. You start circling in on all the challenges around you, and then you protect yourself much bigger and bigger and bigger. Initially, it was just, I, I had to change my friends. Now I have to change a lot of things I watch, a lot of things I listen to. I have now to change even the type of vacations I have. More and more and more, this guy is going farther and farther to cleanse himself and his nation. Now, this king of Syria, he was going to fight. And David, once he noticed that he's going to fight, he brought in his army to defeat him. To defeat him. Now, when David attacked him, he did a couple of interesting things. Number one, he destroyed most of the chariots he had by breaking the foot of the horses. David did not take the chariots, took a small amount. Why? Because the scripture said the king should not have many horses and many chariots. God gave the commandments about the king in the, in the Pentateuch, in the five books of Moses. So he followed the law. It means that David was aware of the law. So he weakened the enemy, but he also took a small amount that would, he thought it would be reasonable. And this, by the way, sometimes represents us overcoming our fear. Because Syria was considered to be a much significant nation, a much bigger nation than Israel would be. Sometimes when you start with God, you start by just rejecting sin and doing all these things. And eventually later on, you find yourself building the kingdom. And when you build the kingdom, you find yourself facing a lot of fears. People will make fun of me and people will reject me and people will persecute me. I was telling them this morning in the liturgy that somebody did a study on the 20th century, century from 1900 to 2000. There's about 100 million people, 100 million Christians that were martyred. The most of all centuries. 20th century. So if you actually take a percentage, it's about one in a 200 Christian in the 20th century were martyred. Half a percent. You know, it's like when you go to your class and there's a top, top 1%, top, these are the top half percent of 
of the, of the people of God. So, if I want to walk with God, I must overcome Syria. I must overcome my biggest fears. But it will take a step. First, Philistines, no distraction, I won't focus on other people. Number two, I overcome the Mobites, my old and past, all the experiences the devil is going to try to bring. The third thing is I overcome my fear. When the Syrian of Damascus came to help Hadizar, the king of Zoba, David killed 22,000 of the Syrian. So it looks like some of the Syrians wanted to come and attack David. Obviously, when you're fighting the devil and you're growing, he's not going to leave you alone. They started to come and attack him. So David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. When you're walking with God and you're courageous, nothing matters. destroyed a big part of them a big eh, part of them David at this point he trusted that God is with him and he was walking with God and he knew what he's doing is according to God's plan and I want to stop here because I just to remind you guys of something before I move on when David began his life as a king he had a broken army his abilities were minimum. So every time he would fight, it would be overwhelming. He had to go run to God, and God would tell him specifically what to do. Now he built a strong army. But he knows that he's doing the will of God. So he continues to do the will of God. And God, in this period, allows David to use the resources he has. Why is that significant? Because all of us have resources that God asks us to use to serve him. And God is telling David at this time, I will not work by miracles in your life. I will work simply by the resources you have. By what I have asked you to do. Simply. Then David put grasses in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrian became David's servants, and they brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he, want, he went. All the powers of the enemy became slave to him. Look at this beautiful saying by one of the one of Western fathers. He says, by the mere fact that the soul loves something, it becomes incapable of pure union and transformation in God. For the loneliness of the creature is far less capable of the height of the creator than is darkness of light. So David, at this period, all what he's doing, he's detaching himself from everything except fulfilling the commandments of God. And how did David manage to defeat the enemy? Everywhere he goes, he puts a stronghold for his army so they can able to manage, and if any attacks happen against them, they will hide in the strongholds. Everywhere a sin could come, he puts a stronghold there. So when the enemy comes, he goes and hides. That's what he's doing. And David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadizar and brought them to Jerusalem and from Bata and from 
Berothai, the cities of Hazar, King David took large amount of bronze. So David used to collect all the metals. We'll see what he's doing with all the gold and metals later on. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that King David had defeated all the army of Hadezar, then Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadezar and defeated him, for Hadezar had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought, Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of, of bronze. Now, people saw that David is fighting the enemies. God sent him also some good people to support him. Good friends, Toy, he was an enemy of the enemy of David. It means he's now is David's friend. He came around him, congratulated him, and he started now to form a correlation that loves God. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and the gold that he had ded dedicated from all the nation which he had subdued. What does that mean? This is a beautiful verse. What was David doing with the gold and the silver and the bronze that he took? He was saving them for the temple. So when Solomon becomes a king, Solomon can use him to build the temple. You see, David had so much desire to build the house of God. He knew already that God told him, you are not going to build it. He did not just wash his hands and says, you know what, I'm done. He prepared everything. Everything. You guys, later on, if God gives us life to study, the, the, the life of Solomon, the walls were covered with gold. David spent all his kingdom preparing for the moment to build the best, the best, the best, the best house for God. This is how pure his desire was. How would you feel if I tell you, I want you to save $5 million in your lifetime, and then your child will take them to build a church, and the church will be attributed to your child? How many people would be willing to do that? To do all the work and enjoy none of the success. That's because he truly had a genuine desire inside his heart. From Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoils of Hazar, the son of Rahab, king of, king of Zobah. He took all, any gold, any, any metal he can find to save it and keep it, and he was able to secure himself and secure the nation of Israel. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He also put Gresans and Adom Throughout all Edom, he put Gresons, and all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord preserved David's wherever he went. David, the enemy did not leave him. The Syrians came again. Syrians are a very strong nation. They came again to fight him. Okay? And what did David do? He won again, because God is on his side. He's fighting, and all the enemy became his servants, his slave. David always remembered that he's victorious because he's doing the work of God. Over and over again. Now, the nice thing about David, too, is that because he was, it's not because he was very busy with wars that he left the kingdom inside. 
Look in verse 15, it says, So David reigned over all, all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. David, at this time of his life, he was a just judge. And to be a just person requires a lot of grace, requires a lot of strength, because you have a lot of people that you might feel intimidated by, a lot of people that you would like to please, but for him as a king to impose justice, as the scripture says, it means that he was just putting the commandments of God in front of his eyes. And by the way, this is probably why in Israel they look at David so high, so highly. Because in his time, the kingdom of Israel expanded so much and became so great. And he defeated all the enemies. And he organized the nation inside. And there was justice inside. God finally looked from heaven and says, yes, this is Jerusalem that I wanted to show the world. Now, Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ehlud, was a recorder. Obviously, we said Joab was the, the, uh, the nephew of David and he was a logical choice I know Joab gave David some hard time but Joab has been his army leader for a long time so it was, was a logical choice to keep him the head of the army the recorder in Hebrew means to remember and that was a very important role because that role he used to keep the king informed advise him and does all the communication with the king's commanders. So the recorder was kind of almost like the prime minister, kind of. So David started selecting the right people to do the right job. One of the worst things sometimes we do is that we set people up for failure. We choose a wrong people for a certain job just to be nice or just because we don't have anybody and sometimes when you put the wrong person in a, in a place, you might struggle to get him out. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and, uh, and uh, Ahimelech, the son of Abithar, were the priest. Sarai was the, was the scribe, so the, the, he also appointed priests. And you guys remember, all these people were following him. Apithar was the priest that ran away from the city of the priest when, they, when Saul killed all the priests and he remained with David. So now David is also caring for the office of priesthood. Benihah, the son of Jehudaid, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's son were chief ministers. It seemed like at this time the secret service, the people that were looking after the king, were usually people not from Israel. And it seemed like because they were considered about, worried about tribal fighting with each other, so they always had the people who would watch the king, would be very loyal people, but they would hire them from outside Israel. So those people were guarding the king. The king. And David's son, David's, David's uh, uh, children started also having a role to serve. And later on we will see how David's children, most of them were not raised in the way that we were hoping David would raise his children. But up to this point in David's life, we see 
the David that God was waiting for. The David that God, Jerusalem that God was waiting for. And this is the life that God wishes for us to have. And we will see that David will continue doing this until he will fall, but he will fall not externally, he will fall internally. From inside, not from outside. He was able to defeat all the wars from outside. But inside, he did not watch the inside of his heart, and we'll see that later. We will continue chapter 9 next week. God willing, glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.